0: And so when we look at Matthew chapter five, when Yeshua said he did not come to do away with the law or the prophets, but to fulfill, there are prophecies from the prophets that have not been fulfilled. And so for one to take the belief that Yeshua fulfilled the law and the prophets, then that would say that all the prophets And all the things they prophesied have become fulfilled in Yeshua. Now, what's interesting is that there are many who will throw away the Old Testament containing the law and the prophets, except for when it's convenient. But Yeshua made it clear that everything that the law and the prophets said concerning him is what he came to fulfill. And much of it he fulfilled in his first coming and some he would not fulfill until his second coming. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Yeshua's earthly ministry set the record straight concerning the preeminence of Jehovah's Word in the earth and the lives of the people of Israel and the people of the world. From the very beginning of the New Testament writings, Yeshua made clear he did not come to do away with the law or the prophets. Included in the law was the proclamation of Jehovah that he would raise up a prophet from amongst the brethren, like unto Moses. Yeshua's teaching ministry reaffirmed and fulfilled what Moses and the prophets had said concerning Yeshua. As a prophet, Yeshua's prophetic ministry is put on full display in this portion of Matthew as he prophesies concerning future events that would unfold in the first century and some of which, hundreds of years later, at this time, have yet to come to pass. The message title in this podcast is Yeshua's Prophecy, Part 1. So, let's study. So we are in Matthew chapter 24. We're looking at verses one and following, and we're not going to get through 51 verses today. I can tell you that right now. That's why I call this Yeshua's prophecy part one. We may be able to get through it next week if father allows. And then therefore we will only have two parts but I anticipate there's a possibility that there will be three parts to this particular chapter of Matthew in our email. We we gave you a outline or we notified you as to uh, some of the information that we're going to be sharing. And from that we wrote Messiah Yeshua's earthly ministry set the record straight. Concerning the preeminence of Jehovah 's Word in the earth, in the lives of people, the people of Israel and the people of the world it's interesting when I look at the Bible and I look at my religious upbringing, how the understanding of the scriptures as they were taught, it was never clearly define what it meant to be in the world, but not of the world. As a result of that, we couldn't help, but be of the world because we didn't know, at least I didn't know, nor was it distinguished what it meant to be in the world, but not of the world. And so when I think about it, even today, of what that means and trying to understand what that means I've come to realize that to be in the world and not of the world is to be disengaged from worldly affairs because the moment I engage in worldly affairs, I become part of the world. I become of the world. The concerns of the world become my concerns the concerns of the people of the world become my concerns. I find myself conducting and behaving just like all the people around me because the pressures of the world expect me to conform to the world around me. I have brothers and sisters that expect me to fall in my place, especially as the youngest of, of 11 They expect me to fall in place according to the hierarchy of the family. My society around me expect me to conduct myself according to the society in which I live in. Law enforcement expects me to conduct myself a certain way. My schools are as much a part of the world and being in the school, I'm as much a part of it. The process of learning, getting a job, working, going to college, all of those things are worldly. And now being taught to go down that path, how do I and what skills and tools do I apply according to scripture to be able to function in the world in all of those areas and still not be conformed to the world? It's virtually impossible to do that unless we understand what it means to be in the world, but not of the world, because when it comes down to the systems of the world, when it comes down to the governments of the world, when it comes down to the politics of the world, when it comes down to citizenship. Now, some would tell me that what I'm supposed to do is to take biblical principles and apply them to my decision making while being of the world, in the world. It is not until later on in life that I come to realize that it's a mindset, it's a kingdom mindset to understand what it means to be a kingdom citizen. Because if I don't understand what it means to be a kingdom citizen, I have nothing to distinguish from being a worldly citizen because I'm in the world. And based on the instructions that I'm given, I become of the world from the very beginning of the new Testament writing. John the Baptist proclaimed Messiah's coming and Yeshua made clear. He did not come to do away with the law or the prophets. The example of being in the world and not being of the world (laughs) became clear through the ministry of Yeshua. Because up until his ministry, even the religious leaders and religious people were of the world interacting and operating according to the world around them, even in religion. Included in the law was the proclamation of Jehovah that he would raise up a prophet from amongst the brethren likened unto Moses. Yeshua's teaching ministry reaffirmed the words of Jehovah given to Moses and the prophets, as well as it fulfilled what Moses and the prophets had said concerning him. And so when we look at Matthew chapter five, when Yeshua said he did not come to do away with the law or the prophets, but to fulfill, there are prophecies from the prophets that have not been fulfilled. And so for one to take the belief that Yeshua fulfilled the law and the prophets, then that would say that all the prophets And all the things they prophesied have become fulfilled in Yeshua. Now, what's interesting is that there are many who will throw away the Old Testament containing the law and the prophets, except for when it's convenient. But Yeshua made it clear that everything that the law and the prophets said concerning him is what he came to fulfill. And much of it he fulfilled in his first coming and some he would not fulfill until his second coming. As a prophet, Yeshua's prophetic ministry is put on full display in this portion of Matthew as he prophesies concerning future events. And this is where I really want us to focus on because I'm going to tell you that there are people, messianics, Hebrew roots, Christians and Jews who are trying to convince people of doctrines that are not in the Bible using the Bible. Religion has done this as long as I can remember. That's how many of us were raised up doing certain things that were not in the Bible and the Bible being used to endorse it. We grew up many of us celebrating Christmas. Now we knew, or and let me put it this way. We didn't see Christmas being celebrated in the Bible. We certainly didn't see the Christmas trees and the reefs and the lights and all that good stuff that today folks want to declare as being a part of it. And right now we're in the Christmas season. So we're going to see Christmas on full display. You don't see Christmas trees in churches and, and Christmas lights all over the place and nativity scenes and Santa Clauses and reindeers, and it's beautiful. There's some beautiful displays that are out there that just make you feel all warm and fuzzy, Right? You know, and then folks are singing and talking and exchanging gifts and visiting and cooking and shopping, and and it's hard not to get caught up in that. (laughs) It's easy to get caught up in it when you're in it, and part of it is coming out of it is a beginning of coming to the understanding that we're not of the world, coming out of the Easter and the the holidays of the world. Because, you know, there's a lot of holidays that the government gives us off. And this year was one of the first times that I found myself not celebrating Veterans Day and Memorial Day. As a veteran, you know, it's like, put your pictures up. But what the picture to me represent is that when I was in it, I was of it. And any display now is a continual display of what I was of. When I talk about birthdays and things of that that nature, I was born in the world. And birthdays is something the world celebrates. It's of the world. And so coming to a place of no longer celebrating it is another means of disconnecting from being of the world. And what we're going to see is that there are worldly tentacles that connect us and pull us back into that, which we become of while trying to not become of just being, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I remember when I was going through the process of coming out of the, the government system and the taxation program and coming to realize that as a sovereign citizen, that the government got us to sign a bunch of documentations as we were being employed by employers that gave the government permission To tax us, signing those employment documents, not knowing what we're doing, just just signing documents. Social security cards, birth certificates, driver's license, credit cards, addresses. And what the government managed to do is not only tie us up in the city, but tie us up in the state. And then tie us to the feds. So we've been tied to the feds, tied to the States and tied to the cities by documentations that we ignorantly sign, assuming that this is what we're supposed to do. And I remember when I started coming out of that, all of the ways that the government had tied us up and the distinction Being on federal property, not knowing you're on federal property because you're in a city. Being on state property, not knowing that you're on state property because you're in a city. That when you go into the post office, even though it's in the city, it's not state property, it's federal property. When you go into a courthouse, and so you got all of these different areas where if you commit a crime in a particular area, it would determine whether or not it's a state crime or a federal crime based on your location or proximity to a federal building, which is the Fed. And in recognizing how many ways the government has tied us up. You see, the mayor is the president of the city. The governor... Is the president of the state. The president is the president of the federal government, of the United States. And therefore, each one has its own jurisdiction. And in a state, city, a city charter, a state constitution, a federal constitution, you got all of this stuff going on, unbeknownst to the people, the resident all of which ties us into the world's systems. We are so tied, not even recognizing we're tied, tied, which is hard not to be of and simply just be in. Because if you don't know how you are of it, then you won't know how to operate just being in it and disconnecting ourselves because we've been connected from birth. Many of Yeshua's prophetic proclamations of events have unfolded in the first century, and some of which hundreds of years later, even up to this present time, have yet to come to pass. Now, remember last week, we closed out chapter 23 with these words, Yeshua now is prophesying over Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, but you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Now, when Yeshua made these words, the temple was flourishing life in Jerusalem was operating as normal, but he said, your house is left unto you desolate as if the destruction of it is to come, but was now. Now, those of you who know that when Solomon's temple was destroyed, burnt to the ground, that all of the furniture in the temple was taken, the Ark of the Covenant destroyed, and since the second temple of Zerubbabel and the expansion of that temple of Herod, there's never been the Ark of the Covenant in the temple again. The Ark of the Covenant, which supposedly was the representation of the presence of the Almighty. How many of you know that the, the Almighty didn't dwell in the Ark? The Ark was simply a piece of furniture in a sense that the almighty instructed Moses to have built and to place the Aaron's rod that budded the jar of manna and the 10 commandments that were to be placed in it. And it's the place where he would meet with Moses. And then later on the priest would be responsible for going in and atoning for the sins of the nations or the sin of the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, as well as himself. The glory of the Almighty hovered above that ark, but there was a point when that glory was no longer there because the ark traded hands. And then David retrieved it, had his tent erected. Developed plans for the temple and the ark went in the temple and we don't see this cloud, this pillar hovering above the temple like it hovered above the tabernacle. When the ark was taken or disappeared or whatever the case may be, then from that point on, once the temple was rebuilt by Zerubbabel, the ark never returned. Does that mean the glory of Jehovah never returned? We know that Malachi prophesied that the almighty would return to his house. He returned to his house through Messiah, the King who came and now the glory of the almighty returned to the land of Israel, but the people didn't recognize it. They did not recognize that the almighty had returned in the person of Yeshua. So now the way they dealt with Yeshua was totally against the instructions of Moses as to how you ought to treat your brethren. There were conflicts with the interpretation of Moses because of who Yeshua said he was. And of course, he knew exactly who he was and was who he said he was. But the people didn't see it. They rejected him because they had their own religion. Guess what is happening today? People got their own religion. They got their own way of worship. They've got their own way of praising. They've got their own belief systems, their own statements of faith and all claiming to be children of the most high. They can't get along with people who are part, who are not only part of different denominations, but in some cases who are part of the same denominations. And in many cases, part of the same congregation. He says, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth. Till you shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, Yeshua quoted this, or it was quoted by the people. Remember when he came into the city on the donkey, on the coat of an ass, and the people shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who came and who come in the name of the Lord. That did not come from the mouth of the religious leaders. In fact, they tried to shut the people down. and to The religious Jews in Judaism have not uttered these words. It was not uttered in the Bible. After he spoke these words at any point, and over the course of history, they have still not recognized that he is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. You even got some who have found their way among messianics who acknowledge the fact that he don't believe in Yeshua, and if Yeshua is the Yeshua that came, then when he comes, he'll recognize and acknowledge it. Okay. But those words have not been uttered again. And he said, you will not see me henceforth until you say, verse one, Matthew 24. And Yeshua went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Now, this verse seems to leave us with the impression that Yeshua didn't know the buildings of the temple. Why is his disciples now all of a sudden? After all these times that they've gone up this time, they want to show him. Did they not know the magnificence of the temple? Is this their first time? Was this Yeshua's first time? No. So what is this? Over the course of his lifetime, Yeshua had seen the temple numerous times. So there would have been no need to show Yeshua the temple. The conversation was about more than simply showing him the temple. And this is where the synoptic gospels come into play because according to Luke, there were also those who marveled at the temple edifice and how it was ordained with godly stones and gifts. This is found in Luke 21 five. And as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with godly stones and gifts now, in the previous chapter, Yeshua began to deal with these woes because of people who said, you know, swear by the goal of the temple versus the temple, when in fact, the temple sanctified the goal. Now, when Solomon built his temple, when he built the temple for Jehovah, it was a beautiful place. It was one of the wonders of the world. Now, Herod came along after the Jews that had been ex- exiled. Those who had been exiled and released to return to the land over a period of time after the Maccabees and so on, the Herodian dynasty began to take shape, and you had the Herod, Herod the Great and his sons who began to rule over Jerusalem, being an Adumean, not from the house of David. Herod was an avid politician. His political prowess was to be rivaled by none during his day. And here's what he did. He was able to win the skeptic religious leaders over by building and enhancing their place of worship. He pulled in the religious arm of the people by building them a religious establishment that was immaculate that was beautiful and in this the people ignored his wickedness they got something they wanted and they ignored that the man was wicked sound familiar You see, politics has a way, especially (laughs) if you want to win the masses, you appeal to the religious. Because if you get the religious right on your side, if you get the religious right on your right and the religious left on your left, you got the votes. You got the voice of the people and invite them to the place of power, give them photo opportunities, give them responsibilities to pray, do the prayer on Washington, <laughs> knowledge Jerusalem as the capital. You win the Christians, you win the Jews, and everybody who have any religious bone in them, because now you are someone who support religious causes, even though you yourself have never been religious. And just like in those days, the people bought it hook, line and secret. <laughs> A much changed. Yeshua said unto them, see you not all these things, Now think about what he's about to say here, because this is supposed to be the house of God. This is supposed to be the house of worship, the house of prayer, but he spoke concerning it as if it was a despicable house, a despised house, a house that no longer was worthy to even stand. Shocking. He said, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, remember, he said, your house is going to be left to you desolate. Why? The place that was built for God didn't welcome him. The one he sent was rejected. And so now he's saying this house is not even worthy to stand. Look, I wanted to gather you all. I wanted to love you and to take care of you and to protect you, but you weren't having none of it. Therefore, this house, your house will be left unto you desolate and even spoke concerning Jerusalem. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him proudly saying, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the age. And so the disciples asked Yeshua three questions. It seemed like two, but here's what they said. Tell us when these things shall be, what things, what he just spoke, there'll be no stone left upon another. And then what shall be the sign of your coming? It's like at this particular point, they've convinced him that he's going to go, but he's got to come back. So they want to know when will that happen? And then he talked about the end. So so when is the end of the world? Because we know that there's an end that's going to come. Yeshua did not answer their questions directly and did not give them dates or timelines. Instead, Yeshua gave them signs to look for. He began. Now, this is an interesting way to begin to respond to the questions. He responds with warnings. I'm going to tell you something. People don't heed warnings very much. Father told Mr. and Mrs. Adam, the day you eat of the tree warning. Did they listen? Nope. Parents tell children warning, 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 warning. Do they listen? Oftentimes not requiring discipline. Now discipline is abuse. You're supposed to talk to your children. Well, when you talk to them and they don't listen, what do you do? Talk some more. And pretty soon you become a talker. Because I'm going to tell you something. Children are born rebellious. We were. We figured this thing out. Whoever cries the loudest. If crying gets me what I want, then what do I become? A cry baby. I will cry and cry and cry. And if a parent doesn't Stop the baby from crying. That's when the parent becomes an abusive parent. You're just going to let the cry. Give the baby what the baby wants so the baby will stop crying. And so the baby starts training us. The children starts training us. Father's instructions that we are to train them. He says, you train the children. Train them up in the way they should go. Teach them the instructions, teach them the commandments, teach them the law, hold them to it. This is one of the beauty of Abraham, who became a friend of Jehovah. He taught the instructions, the commands, the ways of Jehovah. So Yeshua gave them signs, and then he began by warning them of being deceived by men. Now, this is critical because there would be many. Who would be deceived? Here's what he said. And Yeshua answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Messiah, and shall deceive many. Now, this is some interesting stuff. I'm going to touch on this a little bit more, but there have been, since the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, hundreds, hundreds of recorded individuals over the course of time who have come claiming to be Messiah. Let me tell you what we do as people without recognizing doing, we take a 2000 year old historical document. Now the Bible is not 2000 years old, but the content of the Bible, because we know that the last book of the Bible that existed was the book of revelation written by one of Yeshua's disciples named John. And historically, we know that this was written between 95 and 100 AD. So that's first century after John, we have no more apostolic writings from those who followed Yeshua. As far as Paul is concerned, we know according to the book of Romans or the book of Acts closed with Paul being in a rented house in Rome. So we have to look outside the Bible to find any information concerning the demise of Paul and the demise of certain other apostles, which is where we encourage those in discipleship to get the book Fox's book of martyrs, to look at how the disciples died. So we'll take a book with the last book of the Bible being written in the first century and then try to interpret the prophecies in the Bible in our century as something that will come to pass. And here we have 2000 years of history that is ignored by the majority of the people who read this book. Most people don't even know American history. As Americans don't know the history of this country, they know what they've been taught in school, for the most part, if they can remember. But it's not just Americans. Many in other countries don't know their history either. They know the history that they've been taught. People who come to America, many of them know American history better than the average American. They know the taxation systems, they know the laws, they know the rules, they know the business, they know how to access resources, know how to access funds, know how to access welfare, know how to access government benefits. And I can tell you, every immigrant that comes to this country knows our systems. Doesn't matter where they come from. They learn the systems before they learn English. They know how to access it. So they know the history. When it comes down to history, history for many people is a boring subject. But without knowing your history, you can easily be deceived and repeat it. So Yeshua gives them some signs to look for. He says, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So he's given them two things. He says, there's going to be some wars. There's going to be rumors of other wars, but the end has not yet. Okay. Several wars have been waged since Yeshua's statement. In fact, one of them, Rome waged war against Jerusalem beginning around Passover, the 14th of April, as historians documented in AD 70, and that's when the temple burned to the ground. It didn't just catch on fire, it was burned. Josephus claims that 1.1 million people were sieged or killed during the siege, of which a majority were Jewish. This is the writings of Josephus. Josephus attributes This to the celebration of Passover, which he uses as rationale for the vast number of people present among the death toll. The revolt, he said, had not deterred pilgrims from Jewish diaspora communities from trekking to Jerusalem to visit the temple at Passover. And a large number became trapped in the city and perished during the siege. Armed rebels, as well as the frail citizens, were put to death. All of Jerusalem's remaining citizens became Roman prisoners. After the Romans killed the armed elder people, 97,000 were still enslaved, including Simon Giora and John of Giscala. Of the 97,000, thousands were forced to become gladiators and eventually expired in the arena. Many others were forced to assist in the building of the Forum of Peace in the Colosseum. Those under 17 years of age were sold into servitude. Now imagine, this is a major war. Yeshua prophesied this while he was alive. He said that this building is coming down and it would be desolate and Jerusalem would become an inhabitable place. It doesn't look like that today. So what are people doing? They're taking what Yeshua said then and applying it today, looking at Israel and Jerusalem for the fulfillment of prophecy. That's a terrible mistake because the things Yeshua prophesied is in that particular regard has already happened for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. Now, this has been happening, and when you begin to understand the history, and you look at the different wars and why, between the Romans, the Greeks, the Egyptians, just a continual plethora of wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, they're prophesied in the book of Acts. Acts. Last week, we looked at when Agabus, one of the prophets, got up and talked about a famine that would come. And they said that this happened under Caesar. This was before the book closed, the book of Acts. So there's famines and pestilence. People are looking for these things to happen. When the fact is, they've happened. Now, there are two schools today. There are schools out there that will have you to believe that what Yeshua is saying has multiple fulfillments. That there's been fulfilled and there will be fulfillments. And that goes over well. It helps people to take the New Testament, which is 2,000 years old. Now, 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 think about this psychology. A New Testament believer can accept the writings. 2,000 years ago, but reject the writings that are 2,100 years ago. <laughs> Think about that for a moment. Since Yeshua's prophecy, many of those things have happened and they continue to happen. Why? Because if you look at the prophecy and how he spoke them, we can distinguish between the things that he said would happen that have happened. If we understand timeline in history from those things that have not yet happened. Why? Because he hasn't returned. That has not yet happened. He hasn't returned. That is yet to happen. But there are many things that he said that if you knew the history, verse eight, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. Who is he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. Were they ever delivered up and afflicted? Yes. We got the record and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now, there are people who want you to think that they're these people today. Their denomination is these people today. And this is how they're able to separate people into denominational pits and groups and then pit them against each other. It's amazing. You want to know one of the best ways to pit people against each other today. You get one people to be afraid of another people so that they will rise up against those people, demonize those people and look at them as inferior and them being superior. The world religions is not just a religious tactic in the United States of America. Cause today you got people hating people because of their ethnicity before it was, it was a black and white thing, it was a European and Native American thing. That's long, that's long before black folks was brought to these shores, as the history books will tell us. And then you've got immigrants being pitted against one another. And today, I'm telling you, it plays well into the hands of politicians to create these fear tactics amongst the races. And the ages to keep people separate and under their control by controlling the mind and feeding them the vitriol of their political expressions. And you know the sad thing about it? Many people who are called, who call themselves believers, are falling for it. You know why? Because they're of the world. That's why. See, if you weren't of the world, it wouldn't occur to you. If you were in the world and of the book, you wouldn't be looking at people based on their immigration status, based on their ethnicity, based on their color, their pigmentation. You'll be looking at people through the lens of this book. And you'll be able to identify your brothers and sisters from the world. And it won't be an ethnic identification standard. You see, when you become in the world, but not of the world, those political tactics can't be effective against you because you never buy into it. And it doesn't just work against the people of the nation. These individuals who manipulate this particular game are able to put pit one nation against another nation and even solidified in the sporting arenas called the Olympics. It happens in sports. Whenever you have one nation team competing against another nation team, it becomes Americans against and of course, you're supposed to root for your team, unless, of course, you're an immigrant. Oh, I'm telling you, this thing we are tied up in so, so many ways, and you'll never become untied until you realize how you tied. That's tentacles and ties that are deep within us. And it's always been there from the day we were born. Because we've been taught pride, whether it's black pride. White pride, Asian pride, American pride, whatever the pride you have, you've been taught by the people of your ethnicity to look at yourself. Now, the thing that is happening now is because of the oppression and the depression that has been leveled against black American Africans in this country, there's a religious force that is coming along to try to build the pride of the African American to be black and proud. Doesn't matter what color you are, pride is not of Jehovah. He resists the, and so you got religion and religious leaders who will teach you to become the very thing that the Almighty resists, fulfilled pertaining to those Yeshua was speaking to at the time. What? What he said concerning being killed. What did he say? They shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now, in Acts 4, Peter and John were seized and jailed by the Sanhedrin. This is fulfilling what Yeshua is saying as he's speaking to his disciples. This is what's going to happen to y'all. In Acts chapter seven, Stephen was killed by who? The religious leaders who jailed Peter and John, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. In Acts eight, the believers were persecuted and scattered by who? Religion. These are the same religious people who claim God is their God. Who rejected him when he came in the person of Yeshua, who rejected the glory of Jehovah in order to hold on to their own religion. Religion distinguishes us from other religions. Here's what denomination does: is like, you know, you're the sheep of this pasture. Here's what you believe, and here's how you buy. Our bars are distinguished from all of the bars and you know, our voice, because you know, our doctrine, you know, our little key words, you know, our little statements that we make to where you can identify yourself among other sheep. In Acts chapter 12, James were killed when during the feast. This is when they inserted Easter in verse four, who the Romans, they intended after Passover or after Easter, they say, intending after Easter. So now they've killed James with the sword, arrested Peter, intending after Easter to deal with Peter. And these were the days of unleavened bread. And even though religious people see this is Passover and unleavened bread, they separate Easter out of all of that, and create a totally different religion that is found nowhere in the Bible. A feast day. And then claim it to be Resurrection Sunday. (laughs) Now, the first time you hear of Easter is long after there was a resurrection. But now it's Resurrection Sunday. That's some crazy stuff, folks. But ignorant people like we used to be bought it hook, line and sinker and hunted for the eggs. Now, in case you didn't know, all the apostles are dead. So they all been killed or died, which means that Yeshua's prophecy concerning them is what fulfilled. Verse 10. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And get this. Many false prophets shall rise. And deceive many. Now, Yeshua is warning them. And none of the things has happened that happened. But he's telling them what is going to happen. What is he doing? He's prophesying. He's speaking about the things that are to come. He's speaking to them and he's giving them what to look for as signs to help them understand this is what's happening. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold but he that shall endure unto the end. Now notice, because iniquity shall abound, this is what? Lawlessness. Guess what? Lawlessness was occurring during the time of Yeshua when he prophesied these words. Because those who were supposed to be teaching the law was teaching their laws. They were teaching their commandments, the commandments of men, making the law the commandments of Jehovah no effect. It's still happening today. And, and Yeshua is saying, because iniquity shall abound indicating that lawlessness, as you see it today, as he spoke, is going to increase. In fact, it's going to be the standard. It shall abound. The love of many shall wax cold. Why is the love of many waxing cold? Because the law required the people to love one another. The law required us to love the Almighty with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. The law required us to love our neighbor as ourselves. You see, the first thing that happens is the love of God cease. People develop a form of godliness. It looks like godliness, but the power is not there. What's the power? The power is the work of the spirit that says you are to love. You are to love. Well, how do you know you love? Keep my commandments. If you say you love God and you don't keep his commandments, then you are a liar. The truth is not in you. So the commandments of the almighty teaches us first to love him. The commandments then turn around and says, okay, the second great commandment is likened unto the first. You are to love one another. You are to love your neighbor. You are to love the brethren. See, our love tests in the earth is determined by our love for one another. Do you love the brethren? Or do you just love the black brethren? Or do you just love the white brethren? Or do you just love the Asian brethren or the Hispanic brethren, the people who speak your language, people who look like you? And see, this thing takes on, here's another tentacle. The praise of God And how it's expressed separates people. Well, I don't like that kind of music. Well, I don't like that song. Well, I can't understand that song. And then here's the age separation. Because you got the hymns and the contemporary, which further separates. People want to worship and praise with people in their own age group. And folks will tell us that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's like, okay, well, when did that start happening? Can we find that in the book? You see, a lot of the stuff that we see, do, and practice didn't come until way after the book was finished. And generations, hundreds, thousands of years later, and now we have been because we were brought up in this culture being taught that by our denominations, this becomes our expectations, our expectations, according to denomination and religion doesn't align with what the book says. And of course we're fine with that. Or at least people are fine with that. We have been separated by the very people who are supposed to unite us using the gospel that is supposed to bring us into unity, but instead separates and divides us by denominational standards, the denomination, the religion, the creations of who men. Verse 13, but he that shall endure unto the end, he that shall endure unto the end. So who is he speaking to? He's speaking to them. And he's speaking to us. The same shall be say for them. Their end has come for the apostles. Their end has come for the saints in the first century. Their end has come. They had to endure until their end. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. So now we know when the end shall come. He's in that question when this gospel of the kingdom is preached to all nations. Now think about this because this was a revelation for me. You can go to any country and anywhere in the United States. I mean, in any anywhere in the world, in any city in the United States, you can go to any city, any province in any country in the world. And you will find a church. I don't know. And I've been to a lot of places There are churches on practically all continents. Now I know the Antarctica is a place we used to have somebody joining us from Antarctica. They were there because there's a certain time of year that research and all of the stuff that goes there and teams go and teams come and there are people there And there are natives, but when people from various places go, they take their faith with them. And we have folks joining us from Antarctica via the internet. So faith is in all of the continents where people reside, especially every continent, every country that folks from America has sent missionaries. So A gospel has gone to the nations, but was it this gospel? That becomes a question. For those of you who who remember the teaching, the evolution of the American gospel, we know the gospel of the kingdom ceased to exist when the Roman Catholics got a hold of the faith and changed it into Catholicisms. Catholicism was protested and the Protestant religion was established with Martin Luther. The true gospel of the kingdom did not come to the shores of America. The pilgrims didn't bring the true gospel of the kingdom. They brought Protestantism. The Native American religions in its variations of forms, practices, and deities was already here when the pilgrims reached these shores. Protestant Christianity was brought to America beginning with the Puritans. So, so what you see is a gospel came to America, but it wasn't the gospel of the kingdom. It had pieces of the gospel of the kingdom in it. That piece that fit while the other parts were rejected. Never in the history of America has Sabbath been observed as a national day of worship. Sunday has always been established as a day of worship. Where did that come from? It didn't come from the true gospel of the kingdom. From the moment the Mayflower hit and those who came before it, religion came. Churches were built. But none of those people kept the Sabbath. None of those people taught the commandments. And if they did teach it, they taught it from their religious perspective as a manner to control, to control the wives, the women, to control the children. And in some cases, to try to control other men. When you therefore, Yeshua says, shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel or Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. Now, there are some who will say, well, when he's now, is this speaking past or present? Put that back up. And I want you to look at that yourself. When you therefore shall see, when you shall see, was he speaking of the past or the future? He was speaking of the future. The Maccabean revolt had already happened. The Hanukkah had already been established. There are people who would tell us that, okay, well, this is a future fulfillment, but it's already been fulfilled. But Yeshua didn't even reference the Maccabees. He didn't even reference Hanukkah. He didn't reference that. Well, some would well, that's why, you know, in John chapter 10, he was there for Hanukkah. Really? Because he was in Jerusalem, he was there for Hanukkah. So every time he went to Jerusalem, he was there for a feast. He was there for the biblical feast because it was a requirement. Being there for Hanukkah was not a requirement. That was a man-made tradition. And he's speaking of what Daniel said as if it was not fulfilled. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet stand in the holy place. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When you look at the atrocities of the Romans, and I encourage you to read, I encourage you to read the history of the Romans in the occupation of Israel. Read what these people did. It was atrocious. At one point, they literally leveled Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple, took stuff back to Rome, and there are those who will tell you that if you go into the Vatican basement, you will find a lot of stuff that came out of the temple era. How did it get in Rome? The Romans. Those things fulfilled. The abomination that brought desolation, there are people who think, okay, that's going to happen in the future temple. No, when you look at what the Romans did, you will see that as a fulfilled event. These begin to happen in 70 AD along with the destruction of the temple. According to Josephus, Titus began his invasion on the 14th of April, a few days before Passover, while hundreds of thousands of people had come up to celebrate Passover. The temple was captured and destroyed on 910 Tishbiav, And you'll find that there are those who they say, well, Tishbiav. there's a history of certain events that happen on certain nights of Av. And that's why they celebrate. But here, sometimes in August of 70 CE, and the flames spread into the residential sections of the city, Josephus described the scenes. As the legion charged in, neither persuasion nor threat could check their impetuosity. Passion alone was in command. Crowded together around the entrances, many were trampled by their friends. Many fell among the still, hot, and smoking ruins of the colonnades and died as miserably as the defeated. As they neared the sanctuary, they pretended not even to hear Caesar's commands and urged the men in front to throw in more firebrands. The partisans were no longer in a position to help. Everywhere was slaughter and flight. Most of the victims were peaceful citizens, weak and unarmed, butchered wherever they were caught. Round the altar, the heaps of corpse grew higher and higher, while down the sanctuary steps poured a river of blood, and the bodies of those killed at the top slithered down to the bottom. This is the historian Josephus writing about what took place. Now, Yeshua says, when you see these things happen, let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Many fled. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Get out of the city because there is a people more brutal than the Babylonians who have come. And they're going to destroy and kill and maim and burn because they are passionate with destruction. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child. That's the pregnant. Because they can't move as quickly. Those of you who have had the opportunity to become a father. Well, you know, mothers, you know what I'm talking about. Fathers is like, you know, you're trying to rush a pregnant wife. She ain't having it. Imagine that. Pregnant women during this time, especially when they're at a state where they're about to give birth. What this historian is doing is he's putting us at a place in history that looks a lot like what Yeshua is prophesying that will happen. See, because we've not seen it because we've not read the history, the stories, as far as it is in our mind, they ain't happened. It's something to come because, you know, many of us, we barely know American history, let alone the history of another country, especially history that is 1,800, 1,500, 2,000 years ago. Who's interested in that kind of history? Not a whole lot of people, but you will be today because some of y'all going to go home and look this stuff up. And I encourage you to search between the Roman occupation during the time of the first century. You'll see some stuff. And it's like, you know what? You'll look at what Yeshua is saying totally different than how you may look at it today, because we are so isolated from the book. And all we have is what the preachers regurgitate to us and the religious happenings during church services for there shall be great tribulation. Brother, this was great tribulation. This was great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. And what is he saying to this time? He's speaking of this time. He's going to make some statements that people who know the history of Israel, they'll be able to identify with what I'm saying. Most people don't have a clue. So there'll be great tribulations such as what was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. See, at least the Babylonians didn't take the Israelites and put them in lion's dens to fight as gladiators, to fight lions. They didn't make sport. They took what they saw as human investment. You see, they made slaves and utilized because the Babylonians were probably the most brutal of all of the people in Israel's history up until this point, until the Romans came. The Romans weren't interested in taking Israelites back to Rome. And the Babylonians didn't burn the temple until they pillaged it. (laughs) This is pure brute. Brutality at its core. Josephus wrote, this was the end which Jerusalem came to be by the madness of those that were for innovations. In other words, he's saying there were those who were innovative people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of these religious folks, man. I mean, after all, they've got one of the great wonders of the world right there in Jerusalem where all of the people in the world who claim to be the people of the almighty, wherever they were from. Remember, I told you about the economy of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the economic powerhouse of the world. People from all over the world came to Jerusalem. They brought their currency. They had money changers. They exchanged. They, I mean, they just brought untold wealth to that city based on Torah. The people brought their tithe. They brought their offerings. They brought brought their first fruits. They brought their vows. They just brought gold and silver by the donkey load. And it was deposited in the temple treasuries. And so the innovation, a city otherwise of great magnificence, of mighty fame among all mankind. This is Josephus writing. And truly the very view itself was a melancholy thing for those places, which were adorned with trees and pleasant gardens were now become desolate country every way, and its trees were all cut down, nor could any foreigner that had formerly seen Judea and the most beautiful suburbs of the city and now saw it as a desert. But lament and mourn, sadly, as so great a change. It went from this place of magnificent to a desolate place, according to Josephus' writings. For the war had laid all signs of beauty quite waste. Nor had anyone who had known the place before had come on a sudden to it now. Would he have known it again? In other words, the one who had visited Jerusalem at some time in the past, who come looking for Jerusalem, wouldn't find it. They would be asking for directions in what used to be the heart of the city as to where Jerusalem is. But though he a foreigner were at the city itself, this is what he write. Yet would he have inquired for it. So here he is standing where the, you know, the main road used to be the main hub where people gathered beyond the temple asking for direction. Why? Because the city was no longer there. This is what Josephus writes. Verse 22. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened, and so you know Yeshua is speaking of these things. Now we will take it and apply it to us today. But for the people who lived during those times, folks fled out of the city. Any of you who've ever been to Israel, you know, in the Judea out from Jerusalem, there's a place called Masada. It used to be a fortress. After the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the city and its temples, there were still a few Judean strongholds in which the rebels continued holding out at Herodium, Machaerus, and Masada. Both Herodian and Machaerus failed to the Roman army within the next two years with Masada remaining as the final stronghold of the Judean rebels. In 73 CE, the Romans breached the walls of Masada and captured the fortress with Josephus claiming that nearly all of the Jewish defenders had committed mass suicide prior to the entry of the Romans. With the fall of Masada, the first Jewish-Roman war came to an end. Then, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Messiah, or there, believe it not, I'm almost there. Many have come over the course of history claiming to be the Messiah, beginning with Simon Bar Kokhba, in 135 A.D. This is a famous individual. I would encourage you to do a history search and just simply Google. Google Messiahs since Jesus. I don't think uh, Google recognized Yeshua. They might. Try Yeshua first. If he recognizes it, then you'll see. But if not, try Jesus and you will see lists of individuals who have come claiming to be Messiah. We have them today, several of them in different parts of the world claiming to be Messiah and people are following them as if they are the Messiah. It's been happening since the time of Yeshua. For there shall arise false messiahs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And so Yeshua says, Behold now, I've told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, don't go looking. If he's in a secret chamber, don't believe it. When the Messiah comes, the people of the earth will know from the east to the west. Nobody's going to have to tell you. No one will have to tell anyone else. When the true Messiah comes, the whole earth will know. For as the lightning cometh, verse 27, out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man shall be. There will be lightning from the east all the way to the west. For where wheresoever the carcass is, there shall there will the eagles be gathered together. That's the last slide. We'll pick up there next week. Now, what I tried to do here is to stimulate your brain to stimulate your mind and to really looking at the history of where we have come from to this point, because I'm going to tell you right now, there are people who are mishandling prophecy on unsuspected people because people don't know the history. They look at the Bible. The books of the Bible are not in their chronological order. We need to know if a prophet prophesies in the Old Testament, when did that prophet live? And from the time of that prophet and their prophecy, what has occurred in history, especially the history of Israel? From that time, they prophesied until now, because what I just did here today is showed you the fulfillment of biblical prophecy that many of you didn't know had been fulfilled. If a prophet prophesied before the Babylonian captivity about some things that would take place, is it possible that the Babylonian captivity fulfilled it or it was fulfilled during that time? If a prophet prophesied while in Babylon, is it possible that after the exile from Babylon till now that those prophecies have come to pass? Is it possible? There are people who are using biblical prophets in their time to point to prophecies that are to be fulfilled when in essence they may have already been fulfilled. But if you don't know, then guess what? You will hear what they're saying, take heed what they're saying, and if you believe what they're saying, you'll start operating accordingly. Not knowing that you're being ignorant, not knowing that you're being deceived, not knowing that you're being misled by people claiming, thus saith the Lord, it wouldn't be the first time it's happened. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey. On Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey1. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.